This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Good morning, I'm Tara Duggan in for Sarah Carey. Our talking point this morning is on the issue of childcare in Ireland. The new Education Minister is pledging this is a nut that will be cracked. Many childcare professionals, though, are predicting it'll cost millions to fix a deeply flawed system. So what do we need to do to solve this crisis? Should we be looking outside of Ireland to the Finnish or Scandinavian models? Should we be scrapping the children's allowance and instead putting that money into funding the new system? Now, as always, we want to hear your views as well. You can text us 53106 at a cost of 30 cent or you can tweet us at TalkingPointNT. I'm also there at Tara at last. And joining me in studio this Saturday morning, Theresa Heaney, CEO of Early Childhood Ireland, Carol Hunt, columnist with the Sunday Independent, Jonathan DeBurka Butler, who's the author of the weekly Dad's World column in the Irish Examiner, and County Councillor, entrepreneur and mother Fiona McLaughlin Healy. You're all very welcome to the Talking Point studio. Right, let's start um, because there's an awful lot of talking about childcare. It always comes up at election times in particular. Uh, It's a a discussion point as we now again head into the summer months in particular. But how bad is the uh, Irish system, Carol? And um, what are the effects on, on family? Um, well, we, we know we probably have one of the worst childcare systems in Europe, certainly the most expensive. Um, there is very, very little help for parents out there, particularly for um, single parents. It's particularly difficult. Um, it's privatised. It's not um, state sponsored. Um, they, there's the early child year, which is a, it's a beginning, but it, there, there's no overall overreaching um uh, strategy at all. I think what we need to do is start looking at childcare in the same way that we look at education uh, the whole way through junior education, senior education as something that benefits both children and parents and we need to start from the very beginning with I think paternity leave for uh, for fathers, paid paternity leave, preferably compulsory paid paternity leave. I know that sounds like draconian but I think that's the only way it's going to work. Again though we do have a start in that regard coming down the track in, uh, in we this. Hope. We, we hope. We hope. Mm. We hope. Uh, Theresa Heaney uh, CEO of Early Childhood Ireland Carol mentioned there that uh, the system here in Ireland is one of the most expensive. That's obviously from the parents point of view. Mm. What is it like in terms of funding from the state's point of view? Yeah I mean when we talk about childcare it very quickly becomes a discussion about the affordability issue for parents because I Irish parents pay um, about forty percent of their income on childcare if they're if they're if they're using uh, childcare facilities in comparison to an average EU in the EU of about fourteen percent. So that's why parents experience it as incredibly unaffordable. And the reason I think that parents tolerate it is because they they know it's going to last for five years. Uh, until their child goes to school Um, and since the introduction of the free free preschool year um, then there's some reduction from the time the child turns three. The, that is all to do with a historic huge amount of underinvestment in the sector, which leads us to the big issue really in terms of the creation of an infrastructure that, that Carol is talking about. Um, we have about 25,000 women, so we'll call them women, working in childcare services up and down the length of the country and operating childcare services. Carol's right, it's a mostly privatised uh, sector. 
the average salary in those services is about 10 euros per hour. And if you have a higher than the, the basic level of qualification, you would be lucky to get an extra one euro per hour. So there's no incentive to be to become increasingly professionalised. So that's an issue that actually is fundamental to our decision about the future of childcare in Ireland. Because if we want a high quality, consistent, accessible system, then we have to make it attractive enough for people to want to work in it. And the government promised, as we know in the last budget, that it was going to extend the existing free preschool year to two years. Um, but I mean, we're expecting that that is to co- going to cause a certain crisis in certain parts of the country where parents are not going to be able to find those places. And one of the key issues is because services, A, can't expand because they can't afford to expand because there isn't enough money in the sector. But in addition to that, they're not able to recruit or attract uh, qualified staff to work in the services. So actually, it's a very, very big, enormous issue. And the kinds of numbers that we're talking about that we're going to need to look at investment isn't another 100 million. Like to do next year what the government has promised, just to stand still without doing anything new on affordability or salaries or anything, the government needs an an extra 85 million in this year's budget. And that's before we address any of the problems. So the kinds of numbers we're talking about has to reach into billions if we want to have an infrastructure that is going to do it for parents, do it for staff and do it for families and children. And Jonathan DeBurka Butler, I mean, on that issue, it's a tricky one because from a parent's perspective, you want to ensure that the people who are minding your children are of a certain qualification and are, uh, you know, caring individuals and are in it for the right reasons. Uh, but then, you know, it's, it's difficult for parents also then to be able to stump up that money, particularly if you have more than one child. Yeah, but they shouldn't have to stump up that money. Um, it is, as Carol said, it uh, is ridiculously expensive to send children to childcare. I did a bit of calculating last night and my eldest son, Fionn, who's now four and who will be going to school in September, we figured out that if we had kept him in creche, we did have him in creche early on, but if we had kept him in creche for the full three and a half years, we would have been paying out €40,000. Now, um, for me, in terms of investment that Theresa was talking about and where those billions are going to come from for me there's a massive elephant in the room here and that's child benefit Um, we spend next year or this year we're going to spend 2 billion euros on child benefit and I think that is money that is being given to parents most parents will spend that money on the child but they have the um, they have they, they can decide how they want to spend that money so you can give the 140 euros to the parent. They might go and buy a toy or they might go and buy a book or spend it on education or spend it on clothes or whatever. But they also might go down to Paddy Power and put a tenner on the 5.30 at Chepstow. It's at their discretion, basically. And I think that 2 billion should be taken out and it should be put into education, early education, childcare, that kind of thing. Or at least have an opt-in or an opt-out um, situation. Um, the child benefit goes until you're 16. Uh, when Fionn goes to school, in my case, it's not going to make a huge difference. That front-loading that child benefit in the first five years, to me, would have made a huge difference. 
but it may not make a difference to you, but Indeed. it will make an, a massive difference to many others, which brings us back to uh, Councillor Fiona McLaughlin-Healy. This issue that was mooted a number of years ago, but Joan Burton in her brief in Department of Social Protection essentially said it couldn't be done. Means testing. There are an awful lot of people who are in receipt of child benefit who don't need it. Meanwhile, there are an awful lot of people who need more and aren't getting it. And and that is largely still the debate as well around the issue of whether when you're looking at trying to improve the quality and the cost of childcare services, whether the best way to go around that or not is through tax reliefs for parents or direct subsidies for the actual childcare providers themselves. And, and, and let's just look at the starting point for all of this discussion in the, in the first place. You know, childcare affects children. You know, the first five years, if you invest early, you reap the rewards later, financially, emotionally, psychologically, socially, community-based. You reap the rewards for investment in the, in the first five years. It impacts, it's a, it's a, it's a gender issue. It impacts on women. Uh, it is largely women that work in the sector and it is women largely that have to make the decision to stay at home in a family. We still have the wage gap. We still have women earning less than men for the same jobs. So if it comes down to the decision who's going to stay at home it is typically going to be the woman that stays at home so it is an issue for children it is an issue for women but it's an issue for society at large because for the economy we need women back in the in the economy you know there are strong economic arguments for needing women back in the economy so they're needed and we need those children growing up healthy and happy so childcare is not just a well we have a service and we need to improve it somewhere i mean this is such a big ar- argument that and debate that straddles so many sectors and areas of of society that we really have to look um at it from all elements. What is it that we are trying to do? The the first thing that we have to deal with is the fact that we got a a country-specific directive. Um, And that means that from the EU saying that we have to look at uh, making our childcare affordable and of higher quality. Now, they didn't send that around to any other country as they very often do. They're not country-specific directives. We got a country-specific directive saying, you really have to, time has now come, you really have to look at this Ireland as an issue. And now we have to start to decide well, how is, what is the best way in order to improve the quality of the services that are being provided? And we know from the research that's done, and there was an intergovernmental um, or interdepartmental task force uh, report printed in or produced in 2013. And that, that showed evidence internationally that the unintended consequences of actually giving the tax reliefs to parents is that the costs go up. And there's no um, no improvement in the quality of the of the service. Whereas if you provide the subsidy to the childcare providers, they do pass on savings, and you have the possibility of improving. Well, if it's linked to quality targets, in any case, then you improve the quality of the service. It's as like well. the same argument that we're hearing in relation to um, rent supplement, for example. That if you re- increase the rent supplement, therefore the the landlords will just hike up the rent, and the quality of the properties go down. Teresa Eni, how how much would it cost, though? What, in your opinion, expert opinion, would be the actual cost to trying to actually grapple this situation once and for all? Yeah, I think that we, as I said earlier, I think we have to be talking about numbers that are in the region of certainly in their billions. Currently, we're spending less than half a half a billion uh, on childcare. Um, 
and the and that's because there are so many issues to be addressed. The numbers are, are very great because there are so many issues to be addressed. The first and foremost thing we have to agree on is what is it for? Because the voices are all in, in agreement that we have to fix it. Internationally, we've, we know that the EU are saying if you want your economy to recover, you have to uh, you have to provide uh, high quality, affordable childcare for for families, so that the mothers usually in that family can return to work. Business interests, Chambers Ireland are on the record saying we have to address the issue of affordability because they need their staff to be able to come back to work and their staff are saying we can't because we can't afford childcare. Um, So Stephen Kinsella, the economist Stephen Kinsella on the record many, many times saying we have to address this issue. Now nobody's in, in the up in the air saying we need to be putting a billion into it tomorrow. But we have to recognise that this is an infrastructure for children first and foremost, because it has to be of the best quality it can be, and for families. And then you you derive knock-on benefits then to your society as a whole. Um, And absolutely the evidence is that the best way to spend the money is directly into services. In Denmark, for example, and we hear so much about the Scandinavian model, but in Denmark, for example... um, Parents don't even think about it because they know that their local authority is uh, is required to provide accessible, high quality, affordable childcare. Sixty percent of the people working in the settings are graduates, and they pay maybe something in the region of fifteen to twenty percent of the cost. In Ireland, we pay parents of children under the age of three are paying 100% of the cost, which comes to about 40% of their income. Um, And, you know, the irony is that people working in childcare services... um, can't even afford it very often themselves to use it themselves. And we've got the situation where many people, because the capitation that the government provides for the free preschool year only covers 38 weeks of the year, 14% of the staff and services in 2014 had to go on the dole. But on top of that, the owner-operators, which are the vast majority of services, get no social protection during the summer. So they have no income for the summer months because they are again operating this 38-week contract. So, you know, it's very complex. The range of issues are very complex, but we have to really be mature and recognise that if we want uh, a high-quality infrastructure, it is going to be costing in the region of billions. Now, I mean, just to take the nuance between the difference between childcare and early childhood education, because there there are two sides almost of the one coin to a point. I think, Carol. No, I I don't think you can differentiate between them at all. I think that. Um, Early child care and early child education should really be the same thing. We should be trying to implement both things at the same time. They're not mutually mutually exclusive at all. And I think we really need to be looking at early child education, early child care, the same way that we look at, at later education. What we really need is somebody like Donna O'Malley to come in and say, this is what we're doing, we're doing it. He did that with secondary education. He was told there was no way the country could afford free secondary education. He just went ahead and did it anyway. And they found the money. And we wouldn't even, you know, dream of not having free secondary education now. And he was a really, really far-seeing politician. And we need somebody like that to say, this is what we need. We need early education, similar to uh, primary and secondary education. And and we're just going to do it and we can find the money from somewhere. We always find the money from somewhere. Teresa, you wanted to come back in on that? Yeah, I just want to say that the OECD, which would be, you know, a very well internationally recognised uh, authority, um, would very much agree with what Carl is saying. And there, there there's a cliche that, that we, we like to use or uh, an element from one of their reports where they said that the important investment is in the 
or the explorer years, but we tend to, to invest in what they call the Facebook years. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the, the far, there are far greater benefits and boons to the economy if you invest in the, in the, the first five years of a child's life. All international policy would confirm that um, that care and education are inextricably linked. Anybody who has been who who is the who's had the joy maybe or the 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 experience of having a small child knows how much they learn in the first year, first, second, first, third year of their lives. That's when they develop all of their learning dispositions. That the interrelationships that they have with the people around them are what what set them up for their future life as people and as social beings and as learners. So the notion that 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 before three is care and after three is education is something that they, we need to entirely refute because uh, children, you know, children learn from the care that they receive. Right, we need to uh, take a quick ad break there. Uh, our guests in studio will be staying with us and also in a moment we'll be speaking to John Miles, Managing Director of Sherpa Kids Ireland, uh, who's involved in this from the care provider's perspective. Stay with us on Talking Point. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. Hey, very welcome back to Talking Point on News Talk. Tara Duggan in for Sarah Carey today. You can tweet us at Talking Point NT or 53106 is where you can text us at a cost of 30 cent. Today's talking point is the thorny issue of childcare in Ireland and early childhood education. Uh, and our, our guest, Theresa Heaney, CEO of Early Childhood Ireland, Carol Hunt, columnist for the Sunday Independent, Jonathan de Berke-Butler, author of the weekly Dad's World column in the Irish Examiner and County Councillor, entrepreneur and mum, Fiona McLaughlin-Healy. Uh, we were um, speaking there just before the break about is there a difference between child care and childhood education? I want to bring in now John Miles, who is the Managing Director of Sherpa Kids Ireland. You're very welcome to Talking Point, John. Thank you very much for inviting me. Now, John, um, for people who aren't aware of Sherpa Kids Ireland, you might just give us a little bit of background uh, to the business and to the company uh, and what you do. Yep, Sherpa Kids started in New Zealand about 20 years ago now. And um, we provide out of school hours care, so that's before school, after school and holiday care uh, for national school aged children on site at the school. We were discussing um, there just before the break about, you know, what is the difference between child care and uh, childhood education? Sherpa Kids Ireland, you pay great cognizance to the different age ranges of the children that you have in your care and um, to make sure that they're engaged and active and that it's age appropriate for them. Yes, um, we, we run activities. A typical day would an after-school care session would be the child arrives, uh, they have a snack, they sit down, do their homework, and then we have themed activities running through the week. And all of those are based on learning outcomes and are age-related. Um, so, that, you know, a 12-year-old child doesn't want to do the same thing as a, maybe a six-year-old, um, but along the same theme every week. That's uh, the point, um, uh, Fiona McLaughlin-Healy, that um, I was sort of hinting at when I was talking about childhood education versus um, child care, is that, you know, 
life is education really when you break yeah. it down very simply and obviously the quality needs to be good but I mean I know myself I have children who I've, I have a teenager now on my hands and two slightly younger than that and what did them fine three years ago or even two years ago is not Absolutely. going to do them now so I I, I think it was um, it was Carol mentioned earlier that uh, you know it's a, a problem up until the age of three when they might go into early childhood education with their free ECCE year then they go to school and it's almost like problem's over but it's actually not far from no, it. No, it's not. I think one of the, the most complicated times really for myself and my husband, um, I, my kids are now 12, um, 10 and 9. But I really, you know, when they were babies, it was easy. You know, you knew where they where they had to be when you were at work during the day. But actually, once they get to the stage of having activities and stuff like that, we, we just had to take them out of, of the childcare facility that they were going to. The, the people that were minding them were absolutely fabulous. They became friends of ours as very often you're your childcare providers do but we had to take them out because we were leaving work and having to pick them up for after school curricular extracurricular activities and that type of thing and then we tried a, a, an aftercare um, programme um, for a short period which which was only on offer for a short period and there's an element of the older kids seeing it almost as punishment you, you know that they're kept in school for longer than, than the others now and I'm absolutely supportive of the fact that and there were promises made before the last election and, and I would like to see this happen that an extra 50 million be made available to those schools to provide the, that provide their facilities for aftercare but the aftercare does have to be quality aftercare as well they can't be seen as an extension of the of the school day so it is childcare still at that stage between the 5 to 12 and it needs to be targeted and appropriate age appropriate as well for the for the children attending it And John Miles that is uh, where your um, fulfilment a need with Sherpa kids. I mean, the minister, the new minister for education, Richard Bruton. I mean, it was it was only mooted. It was a leak essentially to a newspaper during the past week. He's indicating that that's sort of where his mind is at, and that's where he'd like to see this go: breakfast clubs, after school, age appropriate after school um, facilities uh, uh, and activities for children. Is it simply achieved? It sounds simple enough. Uh, the school buildings are there. Uh, you would have, you know, uh, qualified people to, um, to 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 run those services. But but is it is it as simple as it may sound? No, it's not as simple as it may sound. But it's not an impossible task to overcome. Um, you know, we get different reactions when we approach different schools. Basically, principals seem to fall into two categories: those that are very pro ourselves and, and understand the program that we're trying to provide for the children and also for the parents and uh, there are those that maybe think that they have space issues and, and some a lot of schools do um, but I, going back to what the previous speaker was saying that this extension of the school day is a very um, important thing that you have to overcome because in a Sherpa Kids program we emphasize that we are not an extension of the school day. It's not, it, although it's in school, it's nothing to do with school. Teresa Heaney, your view on, on this type mm. of, of uh, programme whereby you would maybe have breakfast clubs and after school facilities? Yeah, I mean, uh, Early Childhood Ireland members up and down the lengths of the country run after school facilities. Many of them would run after school facilities in, their, in either their own premises or uh, they would uh, be, they'd run it in a school premises uh, for a school on behalf of a school. The 
We've been hearing plenty of leaks this week from uh, the Department of Education about the issue of the the extension or the leverage of school assets. It's what is what Mr. Minister Bruton is talking about uh, to, for the provision of aftercare. And you know. I think that a lot of parents listening might say, well, now that would be a godsend. But we do have to think about uh, think about it in a little bit more detail because after school starts in the morning. Actually, it doesn't start after school for many, many children. For many children, it starts at about 7.30 a.m. and it continues until 6 p.m. So, you know, again, we have to ha- ask a mature question as a society. Do we want children in a school premises that is... Uh, from 7.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. And do we want them in, a, in those same premises during the Easter and during the uh, and during the summer? We saw in yesterday's paper a piece of research by the National Parents Council where they've been talking about children as young as five being stressed in school. So we really have to think about what this is for. It may be a godsend for parents, but it may not be what children want. And we know that the Department of Children and Youth Affairs at the moment is conducting a piece of research with children because their voice must be heard in this discussion. Discussion, and we're hoping to see the results of that research in June. Um, so what might appear to be an easy solution, we have to think about what the outputs and the outcomes of that will be for the lives of very small children. Like it's not 12-year-olds. These are five-year-old children. Many of them are five years of age. And in some countries, schools maybe are set up for that and they have mm. soft furnishings and the children can go outside and play. And But like we know what our schools are like. Most of them do not look like that. And children don't suddenly see a school building differently when half two bell rings. Mm. You know, they're used to being building bound and, and abiding by the rules of the building. Mm. There is no way to suggest that that, that that culture shuts off at half two because the children are now, oh, it's not school anymore. So, you know, we have to put their needs front and centre of this whole can, discussion. Can I just interject very quickly there? Yes, because. I absolutely agree with what Teresa is saying and that's if you're measuring it against an idealised version of what we would love to have available for our, for our children after, after school. But if the, if the alternative is uh, a, a creche um, setting that your child is going back to that they view in the same way. So we have to compare like with like and realistic, you know, what what are we comparing it against? It's not actually being at home with their parent for the afternoon and going for walks in the in the forest, that type of thing, which would be great. But that brings us back to the the question of making it easier for people who are stay at home as well and trying to make sure that they are supported in doing that at Absolutely home. and I, I do want to talk about that in just a moment but I just want to bring John back in on, on the issue of, this, of the environment and I actually had a, a meeting um, there was a, an information evening for, for parents in my children's school the other day I was there for about an hour and a half sitting on that school chair and I tell you I had great um, respect for the kids afterwards because my bum was killing me um, but John you you discovered Sherpa Kids outside of Ireland and and is there yeah. a point there? Is the, the school environment, so to speak, very different in other countries? Well, I can't talk for the whole world, but I mean, I saw them in Australia and they were very similar, national schools. But at Sherpa Kids, we get our room, we turn it into a kids' club room, we have the soft furnishings, we don't make them sit on hard chairs all the time. They sit at desks to do their homework. Uh, they go outdoors for play. Um, we have excursions some days. Um, and so we try and make it as little like school as possible. 
the issue there, Jonathan DeBurka Butler was raised about, you know, we're here bemoaning the lack of support for parents mm. who are working, but there is also a lack of support for parents who are in a position and want to make that choice to stay at home mm. with their children. Absolutely. And this is where my, and, and you know, my, my idea of, of getting rid of the child benefit, this is where it falls down, to be honest with you. Um, and I realise that. But there has to be the options there, I think, uh, for, for people. Um, and just to pick up on Theresa's point, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying there, that a lot of children are going in from half seven in the morning and not seeing any, not seeing their parents until six o'clock at night and they see them at the weekends. And, and I think really um, you've got to look at the, the whole, the overall um, way of how we view family life and working life and how we try and get that balance. And it goes back to Carol's point that she made at the start about, you know, mandatory paternity leave. And I absolutely think that that should be brought in, both in terms of, you know, women of a certain age in their early 30s, if I don't want to be too controversial, but, you know, sitting down for an interview and people looking at them and going, hmm, I think I'll take the man. The reason I think I'll take the man is because I know you're going to go off and have kids and you're not going to be around. I'm going to have to train somebody else up. So if you level the playing pitch and you basically say to a man, you have to take this paternity leave, then that levels that playing pitch up for everybody. And, uh, and and it goes back to the holistic view of family life uh, that I think uh, Theresa is looking at. We have to look at working life completely differently. Uh, it needs to change. Carol, what would you say on that point? Yes, I agree. We're still working on the, you know, 19th century, early 20th century Absolutely. model of the, the, the man goes out mm-hmm. and, um, and and that families only need one income. And, mm. we, and we know that most families nowadays Absolutely. need two incomes. So we're, we're working off completely de- a model that is defunct, really. And that's why it's not working for anybody. And it's certainly not working for the family as a unit. As a unit. So we really do. And I think getting the father involved um, right from the beginning, right from, you know, before the birth of the child is just so important. I mean, we don't even, fathers aren't even mentioned in the Constitution, whereas the, the words mother and, and woman are used interchangeably. Um, so, so that's a discrimination immediately. So I think once we get fathers involved uh, from the beginning so that um, it's equal the whole way up. And also we have to bring in more flexi time, more family friendly um, work policies, all of that. But I think once we start off with, with, with the father, um, and we, we can work it from there. If I can interject there and say, <laughs> but, but from that and without wanting mm-hmm. to sound like a victim or anything like that, or I'm not looking for sympathy, but I think attitudes towards fathers need to change as well. Oh, like in advertising and, you know, fathers getting splattered by and holding babies upside down by absolutely. the leg and not knowing what to yeah. do and all that kind of thing. Again, it feeds We know back. plenty. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and exactly. Give you know fathers I mean? a bit more credit and a bit more responsibility. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And I mean, we've seen that. I mean, you know, any of us who are at crash runs or school mm-hmm. gates, fathers are so actively engaged yes, in their children's lives now. But again, we still, in the same way that we have the stereotyping about, you know, mother staying at home, father going to work, we have the stereotyping that mother is nurturing and caring and fathers aren't. Mm. And it's grossly unfair. It is. It's extremely unfair. And if I was a father, I'd be very, very annoyed with it. Fiona, do you have any uh, great belief, though, that despite, you know, the, 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 the discussions that we're having here this morning, that in the echelons of power, in those corridors of power, that people, the, the, the people in power actually really get this, that they really understand it. 
I, I think they do. I, you know, it's about a tipping point, though. You know, I think it is believed that we need more women in politics, that we need more parity in terms of parenting between the, the mums and the dads. But it's one thing saying it and it's another thing, you know, having sufficient support and real will to actually change things as, as they are. I mean, but but small changes mean, mean a lot. The Entrepreneurship Forum report, for example, suggested that, you know, a huge thing that would help... Um, more female entrepreneurs um, to to get off the ground and become active or to attract women into into setting up their own businesses would be flexible parental leave. And we now have a commitment for flexible parental leave. And I know personally, for me, when I had uh, my children, you know, I was on the phone, I was working on the laptop in the hospitals. I know it's awful and it sounds terrible and I'm not proud of it or whatever, but that's who I was and what I was at that particular moment in time. And that's what I needed to be in order to, to grow my business whereas my husband would have happily happily stayed at home with Mm. the kids had he been given the opportunity to do so so it becomes a vicious circle in that the stereotypes are there you know because of the advertising and 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 what we see you you cannot be what you cannot see so if you don't see the 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 dads at home Mm. and you don't have the policies um to be able to assist and help with that Mm. it becomes that that vicious circle. and, and i think it ties in with with later in life i mean i have two boys and I mean if you look at, at it statistically across the world boys you know commit murder they are more prone to robbery all that kind of thing and in an awful lot of cases uh, I think it might be because the father should be around more uh, fathers need to teach boys as well as girls how to behave but I think there's just that kind of thing maybe I'm being stereotypical now no, but I just think there's that yeah. thing that men need to teach men how to be men if you know what I mean um, so if they're around more, um, it would be better. I don't know if I'd exactly agree with that now, you know, because I'm sure that there be good are men, boys I mean. that grow up with, with two um, female parents and absolutely, they are well absolutely. capable of being well-rounded individuals and all the rest. But I take your, your point in terms of input, in terms of a, a couple, you know, two parents having input into a child's life and not stereotyping one, whether it's two females, two males, one male, one female, that one has a, has a predetermined determined sure. role over and above the other and it just goes back to that whole point of the first five years is just so mm. important and it doesn't matter if it's two mammies going out the door if you have one mammy at home and there's a reason for mm-hmm. it or you have one daddy at home or one mother at home whatever it is and and there's no uh real justification for that they do pick up on those messages and they do then become the stereotype Absolutely, men have a lot to learn (laughs) (laughs) We do need to take another quick break, I just at this point want to thank John Miles, the Managing Director of Sherpa Kids for uh, joining us on Talking Point this morning I would argue though um, guests that it's a lot more than just a mammy or a daddy or two mammies or two daddies Nanas and granddads have an enormous role to play so we'll maybe discuss that when we come back after this break Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And you are very welcome back to Talking Point. Tara Duggan in for Sarah Carey today. We're discussing the issue of uh, childcare. Uh, our guests in studio, Teresa Heaney, CEO of Early Childhood Ireland. Carol Hunt, columnist for the Sunday Independent. Jonathan DeBurka Butler, who's the author of the weekly Dad's World column in the Irish Examiner. And uh, County Councillor, Mumptrepreneur, as they're called these days, mm. Fiona McLaughlin Healy. Uh, we mentioned there just before the ad break um, the role of grandparents and extended family in um, the... Ch- I mean, I know certainly personally, I could not 
do anything that I do without the massive support that I got from both of my parents. Uh, um, my mum is regularly at the school gate. In fact, probably more so than me doing pickups and collections, etc. Like that's a, an issue, um, Teresa, that that doesn't get an awful lot. They don't get an awful lot of credit. Uh, and grandparents are an enormous part of the picture. And Hugely. Yeah. In fact, I would go so far as to suggest that if they weren't there, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, uh, the arguments that we're making today, the entire Higher system would just topple over. <laughs> the um, I think that's your headline today. The economy will collapse without grandparents. Mm. Um, the grandparents, according to any of the research, Irish research we have, like the growing up in Ireland research, like that will tell you that there's about thirty percent of children that are being looked after by grandparents. But then, interestingly, there's um, the Tilda research, which uh, looks at the needs of older people, and many of those uh, respondents to the Tilda research would say that they find the the it quite onerous the yes. responsibility that they have to to support their own children and. Uh, their grandchildren. So while they're a critical part of the picture, I think that a lot of families, uh, they have become to the fore for a lot of families because the other alternatives are just too costly Mm -hmm. and prohibitive and uh, not accessible. I mean, and uh, I think that I really agree with the discussion about after school provision because it can be really complex and you need somebody who you almost have to advertise the role as somebody who has a car you know because yeah. you, you're you're going to and from everywhere but what we have to remember is that a lot of families will use childminders in that situation but we have to remember that the vast bulk of childminders in Ireland are entirely unregulated um, you don't have to notify to TUSLA for any kind of inspections if you look after four or fewer children and if any of those children are over the age of six you don't have to at all um, so you know again that's part of the very very complex picture they're a critical part of the a lot of families prefer to use childminding our grandparents and I'm not suggesting we would inspect grandparents by the way but uh, if you're if you um, if you have childminders we must know and understand that that means that most of those childminders are not inspected and are not there. nobody has any authority to inspect them either. Now there are also a lot of people in the country who use uh, au pairs who have their own child care in their own home uh, traditionally younger uh, women from uh, other countries who come here. We had a very interesting ruling earlier in the year mm-hmm. Carol Hunt uh, that uh, an au pair is they were a casual employee and they sort of live in the home and mm-hmm. they're, they're paid and, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a, t- a token amount in return for duties, light duties around the house, of which minding the children obviously is is the, the primary one. But that ruling now has essentially said that an, an au pair is an employee exactly. need to be paid needs to be paid at least minimum wage and, and needs to have the their benefits. tax and PS, PRSI mm-hmm. etc. covered. Mm-hmm. That again, um, that well, one ruling it could is going to significantly impact many many people. Hugely impact. There are so many families, and, and I did it myself once. Um, who who use au pair uh, you know it was just for a few hours each day and but I know that there are families out there who do abuse this system and they use their au pairs as um, cleaners child minors babysitters the whole thing um, which is 
completely against what it's supposed to be. So if they have to now pay for them as as um, as workers, so be it. But it is going to hugely impact. And it means that we have to, again, change the system. We really need... So if you're going to have an au pair in, you do it for the right reasons. You don't need do it because you can't afford childcare. Uh, Fiona, your, your children and my ch- children seem to be of a, of a fairly similar age. At what point, uh, you know, I mean, we, we all heard of latchkey kids in the past. At what point does it become unnecessary to have childcare in the home if you're working and you're only going to be back in an hour or so. Is that tenable at all? Is it a complete and utter no-no? Do parents have to be given permission or, or, or allowed to be able to trust their children at a certain point in time? Oh God! And by, by children here, just I'm not talking. Obviously, I'm talking about yeah. into the teenage years yeah. when they're in secondary school. I, I think there's a point at which I mean, even with Ryan now, you know, and I'm still talking to other parents, you know, about what's what's appropriate and and what isn't, you know. But uh, I can I can obviously leave Ryan at twelve for a couple of hours, um, you know, to go back into the office or, or you know if something comes up, but. You know, it's it's degrees of, you know, as they get older, they can be left alone for longer periods of time. But in terms of a full day or an extended period of time, I would be very, very reluctant um, to be leaving them for any length of time, really, unless, you know, as I said, in situations where it's absolutely necessary and even then for very short periods. I, I had a woman um, interview and I'll just, I'll just give you an idea of how rounded this whole um, discussion is or, or, or how how big an issue it is I had a, a woman into me who was looking for help with her rent she was she was in rented accommodation um, she couldn't afford um, the rent anymore the, the lease was coming up she was entitled to support through the HAP system so she was entitled to rent supplement um, her, she was with an employer who was educating her who was sending her on, on um, courses and getting her trained up she loved her job, but she had an eight-year-old child who was at home. I'm going to get upset thinking about her now because she had an eight-year-old ch- child and she was so upset that she was going to have to leave that child at home until she got home. The child was putting its dinners into the mm. microwave to, to heat the dinners and all of that type of thing until she could get home a few hours later. And we, we, were, we, were, we were asking somebody like that to make the decision mm. between trying to yeah. make a life for yeah. you and your family and one parent families are actually yeah. a huge part of all of this because if you're talking about targeting supports they are the ones that mm. most suffer from and least benefit from the, mm. the, the tax reliefs as well. Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, one of the the uh, key issues that arises for lone parent families is childcare because um, getting out to work uh, is a huge issue for lone parent families in terms of getting out of the cycle of poverty. And we know that lone parent families are the the families most uh, most likely to find themselves in poverty. So being able to have an infrastructure which supports those parents is absolutely essential. Absolutely. Thank you very much, uh, all of you. We've run out of time. Uh, Teresa Heaney, as you just heard there, CEO of Early Childhood Ireland. Carol Hunt, uh, Sunday Independent columnist. Jonathan DeBurka Butler, author of the weekly Dad's World column in the Irish Examiner. And uh, mumpreneur and uh, county councillor Fiona McLaughlin-Healy. Thanks very much for joining us on Talking Point today. Just want to say a quick thank you to all the texts and tweets that came into the programme. Uh, too many to go through at this point in time. Uh, and many thanks to producer Aoife Breen. Sarah will be back with you next Saturday. Thanks for listening to this News Talk 106 to 108 podcast. To download other programs or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.